It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 113. I'm Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of MacMost.com. So it's interesting. We are... Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if there's a little bit more of a delay than usual. We've been fighting a little bit of a potential Zoom performance problem, and that's kind of exposed our, uh, our complete lack of having a plan B for if Zoom isn't available to us. <laughs> we might have to experiment. Well, with yeah, we've been doing this for more than two years, and we haven't had any issues, not a right. single time. Right. So that's, our, that's why we have no backup plan. At best, the the issues we've had have been with um, you know one individual's specific internet connection, um, but other than that, things have been pretty clean. As it turns out, the 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 more difficult part of the process, it's easy, trivial to have uh, an audio conversation across the internet these days. Uh, as it turns out, the hardest part is coming up with a uh, an audio conversation that's recorded, as you might want to for a podcast. And uh, a lot of the uh, various alternatives either don't offer recording natively or use third-party apps to, to provide recording. For example, um, there was a, an application that you could install alongside Skype, at least on the PC side, that would allow you to uh, record your Skype calls. And, but I haven't used that for years because I haven't needed to. And uh, some of the other applications, Gary just found out that uh, I think it was Google Meet that had free recording up until, well, literally a week ago, <laughs> just in time for our problem to yeah. arise. So, indeed, it's been an interesting week. Um, yeah. So, yeah, let's, let's talk about Apple for a second. Uh, they uh, have been teasing another event in a couple of weeks. Right. So and this one is almost certainly going to be the iPhone event, the fall iPhone event where they just announced the new iPhones, um, which, uh, you know, it's not hard to predict. This will probably be called the iPhone 12, <laughs> not going out on a limb there. Um, there's a couple of notable things. Uh, one interesting thing is that there is heavily rumored to be four sizes, not three sizes now. So they've had for a while the three size, actually take that back, it's two sizes really. It's a, a large and an extra large has been the two sizes. You know, there've been two models usually at the large size. Uh, and the rumor here is a 12 and a 12 Pro, just like there's an 11 and 11 Pro, and then a 12 Pro Max, which is the extra large size. But the rumor is for a third size, that third size would be a mini size. I don't know if they're going to use that name. That's what people are throwing around on rumor sites. I I don't. I think they'll come up with something more clever. But the the interesting thing is is going back to having a relatively small phone, or at least the option for a relatively small phone in a iPhone 12 Mini. Um, so all the power, but none of the screen size of the uh, <laughs> the other ones. Um, well, you know, it's the kind of thing where, uh, you know, people, when the phone was small, you know, in the iPhone 5 era, when it was a nice, compact little phone, uh, people were crying, make, make a bigger one, make a bigger one. And there were Android phone makers coming out with big screen phones. And, and there was so much outcry for, like, make a bigger iPhone that Apple did that. 
And then they moved on and made all their iPhones big. And now for a while, there's been an outcry of people saying, make a small one again. <laughs> so, so it looks like Apple is going to, to do that. How big is the, the phone you've got, the new Pixel one you have? Uh, the Pixel XL? I don't know. Um, how, do you, how do you measure this stuff? It's, a, it's corner to corner, right? <laughs> I literally just grabbed my phone. You're just and supposed I, to know. I know. I don't. Um, it claims to be like typical Android user six and three quarters of an inch of a diagonal. Yeah. So that's probably, you know, in between the, the 11 and 11 max and the 12 and 12 max sizes. So what I found interesting though, the idea is a mini will be a 5.4. When we replaced my wife's phone, she went from this size of phone, uh, an older, um, uh, Samsung, to the Pixel 4a, which they elected not to do a Pixel 4a XL, right? Like my 4 is a 4XL, which is why it's the size it is. So the dilemma there was, well, it's going to be a smaller phone. Uh, will she care? Will she notice? And you know what? It just hasn't been an issue. It actually probably suits her a little bit better than the than the oversized one. Yeah, I had the opposite thing here with my wife because I I jumped to the larger phone size right away, but she resisted, and I I convinced her that she would get used to it within a week, and then couldn't imagine you know living without the larger size and uh, and yeah that's what happened you know she she uh, it it did not take long for her to get used to having a larger phone. Um, it was the same thing with me. I mean, I, I like, I know I see the iPhone 5 and 5S and things that are sitting like in the closet, you know, with my stack of old iPhones and they're, they look so cool. They're so tiny, compact. And, uh, but I have no problem with the iPhone 11 Pro Max. Right. Uh, just slips into my pocket. I don't mind carrying it around. It doesn't seem big anymore. It just seems like normal size. What's funny is that I got for the, uh, uh, for the 4XL, I just recently upgraded the case. Uh, so I now have an OtterBox case around it, which is, you know, one of their more rugged, heavy-duty, you know, can drop it on cement from 20 feet and it won't hurt the phone kind of phone, kind of cases. And that takes a, yeah. a nice, slim, but big phone and turns it into a nice, yeah. fat, bulky, bigger phone uh, just because of the, the, you know, additional rubber around the whole thing. But it's... Uh, um, it has turned out to be a good thing for me uh, for whatever reason. Yeah. So the other thing about the the new phones, of course, the big new feature is 5G. Right. And everybody predicts that they'll have 5G, at least the Pro, at least the 12 Pro and 12 Pro Max. And there's some debate about whether it'll be all phone. You know, Apple usually, people predict, oh, this will be a Pro feature. And then Apple surprises and says, no, all the 12s have 5G in them or something. Um economies of scale, you know, it might be cheaper for them just to have a 5G, uh, you know, chip in there and just have that in all the phones and order millions of them. Uh, So, you know, that brings up a topic we've talked about before, which is, um, you know, 5G. Is it such a big deal? You know, what's the, what's the, what's the, is your new phone, is that 5G? It is not. In fact, 5G was not even on my, my desired feature list just because I think it's going to need um, significant time to uh, mature before it becomes something truly useful. And that means for me, um, it'll be my next phone. 
right? In a couple of years or whatever, um, uh, after the technology has matured somewhat, then maybe I'll worry about it. Yeah, for, for me, it's it's also something that's not a priority for me personally, um, It's which is weird because I do live in the city and I we do have 5G towers going up all over the place like weeds. <laughs> there are tons of them, right? And I see them uh, walking the dog around the, the neighborhood. They're everywhere, those little towers um, with, you know, Verizon, AT&T and T-Mobile all putting them up. And, you know, so I, I'll definitely have 5G service, probably 5G service right now in my house. I just don't have a device to receive it. Right. Uh, but despite that, it's still not a big deal for me simply because 90 to 99% of the time I'm in, you know, a Wi-Fi zone. I'm at home, at work, whatever. And I am... Not, I don't use whatever the mobile connection is. I'm not using it. I'm using right. Wi-Fi, which is still going to be much faster than 5G. So, you know, there's that. And then when I am out, let's say I go for a walk or let's say I go out to eat or something like that. That's like exactly the time when I don't need high speed connections. Like I'm not streaming any video. I don't need to download massive files or upload massive files or anything like that. That's when I'm actually, you know, at my computer or, you know, somewhere where I have Wi-Fi. So it's, it's like a mismatch for me. And I think for a lot of people, it's like the high speed, really powerful bandwidth at exactly the times when you actually don't need it. <laughs> you know, for me, that's something because I need high speed bandwidth most of the time, but the times when I don't need it are exactly the times when I'll get it with 5g. So so it's not just not that I don't see it as making a significant impact on my life so in, in any way. I'll that, still get email, you know, the same rate. That raises a really good question, though. Who is 5G for? Well, I think there are some cases. Like, for instance, there are people that do not have another type of connection. So f their mobile connection is their only internet connection. And they're, you know, pulling high-speed bandwidth onto their one internet device, their phone, or perhaps uh, they are somehow sharing that connection uh, so somehow with other devices as well. There are also people who, you know, work in a mobile situation. Like if I was one of those people, and I know many, that I decided I want to go work in, at a cafe all day. Not something in 2020 you do as much, but um, <laughs> in the past, you know, then you know, you go out into the world, go sit in a coffee uh, shop and, and get some work done or go to, you know, some public place. And then maybe you're using your mobile connection a lot more. And in that case, then 5G might be more for you. Also, if you have a commute, these are all things I don't have. I, I'm, not, I'm not working in mobile places, right? I don't have any kind of commute. And 5G is certainly not my own, you know, or my mobile connection is not my only way of connecting with the internet. But, you know, if you have a commute, maybe if it's an hour on a train um, or a bus, it might be great to actually stream some video and be able to, you know, connect and do some work, maybe connect virtually with your uh, work servers and things like that and get some work done during that commute and 5g might be critical for that hmm. I could see it. I suppose uh, like you said, I'm in the same position. It's 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 something that would be good for things that I don't care about then because like you I don't have a commute I'm certainly not spending any time in Starbucks these days and uh, 
you know, hopefully by the time I get a new phone, we'll be back to the new normal where I can go spend some time in Starbucks. But even then, at least so far, uh, the uh, the Wi-Fi that's provided at places like Starbucks with a good VPN is a you know plenty good solution. Yeah, indeed. So it'll be interesting. Now, I think some people they really wanted five G last year or last year's announcement, or even a few really unreasonable people thought it would be two years ago, which would have been ridiculous. It's like nobody could have there wasn't five G around. But a lot of people have been putting off buying a new iPhone because 5G is important to them for one of those three reasons. Mm-hmm. And so Apple coming out with one will actually mean um, they'll be jumping on it. So I think it'll, it'll be a good sales quarter for Apple. But, uh, but I also not, think it'll also help kickstart or maybe re-energize the deployment of 5G uh, because it'll actually put the demand now out in the market where right now I suspect that the demand for the actual deployment of all the cell towers and so forth isn't really that high. It's coming mostly from the, t- from the marketing department. And now it'll be coming from, you know, people with 5G phones where they actually want to be able to use 5G in areas that right now perhaps they can't. Good point. Good point. My, so my hope is, is that beyond 5G, there's not that much new on these phones simply because this is like my year to skip. Like I usually have a new iPhone every year, but every once in a while they'll have something like this where it's like the big new features 5g and it's like well, i don't care about that i can still do all the same things use all the same apps take all the same pictures and all of that with the current phone and uh and then you know i can skip this year and skip the 12 right. so we'll see right um when exactly is the announcement october 13th so that will be tuesday one, one week from yesterday yeah okay so we'll see. And a few other things that they might announce. Uh, you know, there's a, lo- a lot of rumors of a new headset, um, basically taking the AirPods technology and putting it in a on-ear, you know, set of headphones. Um, that sounds interesting to me, especially considering that a big part of every uh, set of earphones, earpods, earbuds that Apple's ever come out with has included a microphone. You know, people overlook this, but, you know, typically, you know, little headphones that you get for free or, you know, come with the product usually are just output only. And Apple's have always included microphone because you use them with the iPhone and all. And the AirPods, even though not everybody uses them, have microphones built in. And some people actually use them for microphones for video conferencing and things and certainly use them to take phone calls. So an over-the-ear or on-the-ear headset that's wireless from Apple, I would assume they wouldn't break with the rest of the line and not have a microphone. I assume they would put one in there. And then a lot of times with audio stuff, Apple can't seem to help but put good quality things in there, even if people you know, don't necessarily need them. Like, you know, if, if you use the microphone on your wired you know, earbuds from years ago, um, that microphone actually didn't sound too bad, considering the fact that most people don't even know it's you know, where it is in the wire. Right. Um, so I'm curious, like I, I'm in the market kind of for a new headset, but I'm waiting to see if Apple actually comes out with this headset that somehow has superior microphone quality. Uh, it, it could be interesting. So it is, it is kind of interesting to see people on um, video calls. And actually I've seen it on podcasts as well, where they're, you know, just recording like we are, except they've got their cameras turned on. 
uh, and somebody is using the wired uh, earbuds with the microphone in the cable. And they're very, very careful to be like holding the cable so that the microphone is in front of their mouth or something like that. And what they really don't realize is that the microphone's way better than that. It doesn't, you don't need to do anything. It'll just work from wherever it happens to be dangling. Um, I was, uh, you know, as I, I don't know what you're using right now, if I remember right, you're using a headset with a, with a boom mic. Yes. I've got my, uh, uh, you know, my desk microphone, the AT2020, and then a pair of uh, uh, headphones attached to that. But um, it is interesting to be in Zoom calls where I'm the only person wearing these big bulky, <laughs> this big bulky headset because I want to, uh, you know, I want to have uh, uh, better audio and I've got the, the higher quality microphone. One of the things I should try sometime for this recording, just to see how it um, plays out for us, is I have the um, Bose uh, noise canceling, wireless noise canceling headphones. And I've got them paired up to my phone and actually they'll pair up to the, uh, to the PC as well, but they too have a microphone built in. They just look like headphones, but there's actually a microphone built in. And that's part of what has convinced me that, uh, you know, these like wired microphones, uh, you know, you don't have to do anything special with them because there's this microphone that's like way over on the side by your ear. And that's plenty. It's doing a really, really good job of picking up your voice. Um, so, so yeah, that's, um, it will be, it'll be interesting to see if Apple uh, does that and specifically what it's going to look like. Uh, the, the appeal to me of an Apple Airbud style um, headphone where there's a, they're actually connected to one another um, is something I think I've mentioned here before is that AirPods, I, I am reluctant to spend the money on them because everything I've ever had that I need to stuff into my ear falls out. Yeah. So my experience with uh, my AirPods, uh, which I love, was I basically delayed almost a year buying them after they came out. And um, my experience was that the same as yours. Everything I've ever bought that actually goes in your ear somehow falls out until I bought AirPods. And I don't know like what it is with the design of those, but they simply don't. I've had them for almost, I think, yeah, it'll be almost three years now that I've had these. And they're the original ones. Three years of walking around uh, you know, the city, of doing all sorts of different things, and they stay in. And it, you know, it hasn't been an issue. I, I gave them six months before I lost one, and <laughs> three years in. And if I lost one at this point, it'd be like that's ah, fine. They're three years old. There's there's you know a whole new series out now. The AirPods Pro. I would just go with those. Um, and also, they feel pretty good and all that. But of course, over the year uh, would be a whole different thing. And you know, we'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, it's a weird it's a weird rumor because it's not even something where you know it's like oh it's obvious Apple's going to do this so let's just make a rumor that they will and then it'll turn out we're right when they come out it'll be like you know just a, you know a, an easy prophecy but um, there is no there is no for sure thing it's like why I, I if it didn't if there wasn't a rumor that existed I would never in a million years list right. over the year AirPods as right. an Apple product so. So we'll have to see if that comes out and if Apple has any other little surprises uh, for things like their little tags or stuff like that for the uh, for this announcement. 
Um, I think Apple's realizing that everything being virtual, they don't have to cram everything into one big announcement anymore. You know, they had to do that before when they had journalists flying in from New York and, and Tokyo and, you know, everywhere to, to go to these announcements. And there were big events that they had to put on and stage and rehearse and all that. Now they are basically just, you know, they release a pre-recorded digital thing and they could do one that's here's just the new iPhones. Hey, and we're going to have another one in two weeks and that'll be something else, you know? Right. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if they went to a more frequent announcement model. The question is how much of that would really hurt the, I mean, part of it too, was the the specialness of these announcements, right? They were big, big deals because they only happened like once or twice a year. Uh, If they start happening more frequently, will it lose some of that luster or will the announcements themselves have enough uh, interesting stuff in them to make them worth showing up for. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think Apple has plenty of room. You know, I mean, I, I, I as long as they don't start doing ones where they just announce little minor minor updates or something right. like that, I think they're fine. As long as it's always there's always a headliner like new iPhone, uh, you know, new AirPods, new uh, or not AirPods, uh, but iPads or something like that, you know, something big. And they'll have this one at least, and then they'll probably have one at some point uh, for a new Mac that is an ARM-based Mac. The question is, will that be in time for holiday sales? Probably not. It'll probably be something where they say, they come in the middle, this is my prediction. I'll make a prediction now. I bet you for the first uh, ARM-based Macs, whatever it'll be, probably a MacBook, they will make an announcement somewhere in the second week of December, but the announcement will simply be that it is coming out January 1st or something like that. Um, so in other words, not, not something that will be driving holiday sales, but just keep people excited about Apple and because they promise before the end of the year kind of thing. Not driving holiday sales, but also not cannibalizing holiday sales. That's actually a good argument for the headphones because those are the kinds of things that would do really, really well at a holiday time. Excellent point. Yes. So so speaking of Apple Mm -hmm. and a few other major tech companies, uh, this morning, I think it was, there was news released uh, that uh, apparently the government thinks that they're monopolies. Have you been following this much at all? I, somewhat, a little bit, not as much as I should. So educate me. Well, the bottom line is is pretty much what you'd expect. I mean, the, the companies like, I shouldn't say companies like, I think they're targeting specifically four companies, Google, Apple, Facebook, and um, of course, somebody that I completely spaced on. But the bottom line is that, um, oh, Apple, of course, Google, Facebook, Amazon, and Apple. There we go. Uh, that they just by virtue of their size and success uh, have become de facto monopolies and are in their respective spaces using their positions unfairly and you know squeezing out the the little guy uh i thought it was was interesting uh you might not even be old enough to remember <laughs> um and i vaguely do because i was but a wee wee lad at the time uh we the, there used to be one phone company right oh i remember and uh that was forcibly broken up 
by the government uh, in, I think, the 60s, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so what used to be AT&T, uh, ultimately, they owned like the entire phone system in the United States. And if you wanted a phone, you were getting it from them. Uh, they got broken up into the um, uh, region, what the what at the time were called regional uh, phone systems or the baby bells. It was um, the bell system, I think. It wasn't AT&T. It was the bell system back in the day. And then the, uh, the smaller companies became the baby bells. And then they broke up and did various things. And obviously, the landscape has changed dramatically since that was even an issue. But the similarities are fairly striking in the sense that uh, some of these companies, Amazon is a great example, uh, you know, they're doing something like 65% of all online sales right now. And that's an incredibly high number for any one company to, um, uh, to have and to control and to uh, essentially exert its influence on. And a lot of smaller vendors uh, who either are working through the Amazon ecosystem and living with whatever the rules are that Amazon decides to put together for that, or who are trying to compete externally with Amazon, um, they're just finding it impossible to do so. And the government is, um, it's, it's a 450-page report that was released this morning. And it was making, it has made a number of recommendations that say, you know what, Congress should look at, and there's a list of things that um, are unfortunately relatively vague uh, in, in the sense of, of being actionable but they are suggesting that Congress take a look at these aspects of business for these companies and see if perhaps things need to be broken up. So when we think about breaking things up, the thing we think about are things like, you know, Facebook perhaps um, and Instagram and WhatsApp, right? They should be maybe separate companies again. But in fact, that I don't think while that may be a side effect of, of some of this, I don't think that's the real target. What they're looking at are things like, uh, with this one blew me away, uh, Amazon being a sales platform shouldn't necessarily be able to sell Amazon products, right? right. So Amazon Basics, uh, which uh, when you think about it, they claim that they don't get preferential treatment in the when you do a search on Amazon for product. And yet, we don't know that they don't, right? We just have their word for that. And I suspect that that's a lot of what um, uh, the kinds of things that are driving this. When I take a look at, quote unquote, breaking up Amazon, I think about, okay, fine. Well, you know what? Maybe Amazon Web Services and Amazon Proper should be two different companies. But again, that's not the problem they're really trying to take a look at. They're trying to take a look at the anti-competitive nature of what these companies are doing. In Google, it's always been about, you know, Google promotes its own things in search results over those of other companies. They shouldn't have that power. And there again, you know, do they, does that mean that, well, maybe Google, the search engine, uh, should be a different company than Google Maps, for example. Uh, I just find it fascinating that this discussion is happening uh, I think it's inevitable based on the size of uh, all four of these companies, how successful they've become over time, um, and what I would call kind of a, uh, a, a penchant in popular culture to not really celebrate huge success, but in fact, um, um, you know, be somewhat jealous of it and be very suspicious of it uh, and understanding exactly, you know, maybe they didn't play by all the rules they should have. 
in order to get as successful as they are. So it'll be interesting. I, I, I struggle because part of me says, you know what? Just leave them alone. Let them do their thing. Let them be successful. Look at what they've done for us already. Um, you know, let them and the companies that follow them keep doing that. On the other hand, you know, breaking up the bell system didn't turn out to be a bad thing. It probably led to uh, increased competition. Uh, do we have something that is better than a single bell system would have been? Don't know. But uh, it's interesting to think about how these companies might be broken up, where the lines might be, what the rules might be. Uh, I think the only confident prediction I can really put in place about this at all is that uh, there will be much discussion, much argument, and ultimately much litigation involved before the dust settles and we see exactly what this all turns out to be. Yeah, I think one of the things that might be good about this kind of inquiry is it's kind of like a, a warning. You know, it's telling the companies that you're getting, you're getting close to us maybe doing something and it allows the companies maybe to back out on their own um you know instead of basically saying oh everything you're doing is perfectly fine we're okay with it and then one day saying no it's not anymore you're we're breaking you up um you know coming out and saying you know it may not be a good idea like those examples you used of google promoting its own uh sites over other sites and their search engine results amazon promoting their own products that they make over other products from other companies um you know, just making these companies feel that this is entering into, this is getting close to the line. <laughs> you know, the line is, there is a line and you're getting close to it. You may want to back off a bit, uh, you know, if you want to keep your, the whole company intact. Um, and then also it could lead towards not necessarily breaking things up, but maybe some rules being set. Sometimes those rules are set by government. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're, you know, uh, they could be set. Um, like if Google wanted to go and use a rule that I would love that says they can't promote some of their own stuff um, in search engine results, uh, which they've, they've done in the past. We've both experienced this because we started our businesses before Google did. And we saw Google appear and show search results that showed some of our stuff first. And then Google said, oh, we're going to have a little page that says that. And we're going right. to promote our thing over yours. And it's like, hey, that's no fair because all the traffic comes through you. So, I mean, even doing stuff like just asking Google, what, what's your IP address? That used to go to many web pages that told you what your IP address was, a simple little website, one-page website. But then Google said, nah, we're not going to send traffic to those sites anymore. We're just going to tell people what their IP address is at the top of the right, but search result. That's a great example because Google didn't say, or they, would, they certainly would claim that they didn't say, we're not going to send traffic to these sites. Or they didn't even say, we're going to keep people on the Google search results page. We're, they're saying we want the best user experience to get their question answered. Why is there a need to take that extra click or that extra step or that extra whatever when we could just give them exactly what we know they're looking for? Um, so it's, I say that not necessarily to defend Google, but to say that uh, it's a very, very gray area in the sense that they are attempting, I believe, if you, if you believe in a good Google, 
they are attempting to provide a better user experience. Um, if you believe in a bad Google, of course, they're attempting to take the traffic. But uh, uh, reality, of course, is probably somewhere in between. And not every question is as clear cut as an IP address. Right. It is a gray area, like you said. And probably, well, um, certainly the what is my IP address falls on one side where it's like, yeah, sure, just show the IP address. That's a better user experience. And it's not a serious business anyway, just to have a web page that says, here's your IP address. Right. Um, but there are similar things that Google has provided as information at the top of their search results that maybe do overstep that, you know, uh, providing real actual information and, and uh, you know, informing people about things um, instead of allowing websites to, to do it. So, but it, it, that's exactly what this is doing is it's telling Google, hey, this is a gray area. There's a line here somewhere, you know, maybe you should define that line in a way that makes most people happy instead of the government doing it. Right. Um, and sometimes industries do it. So like, for instance, if maybe instead of Google saying, well, here's the line, maybe Google goes and says, hey, let's get all the search engines, <laughs> you know, but there's Google, Bing, uh, Duck, maybe Duck, some Duck. others. Um, yeah. And, you know, let's get together and let's have like an industry standard. You know, here's when we, here's the line, here's what we, you know, here's our kind of like code of conduct for search engines and put that out there. That's happened before with other, um, a whole other industries. Like it comes to mind the, you know, the ratings for video games, for instance, mm -hmm. um, you know, the industry stepping in, you know, would the industry have ever stepped in and done ratings if the government didn't go and say, Hey, we're going to regulate video games because of video game violence, you know, and that, I think that's completely wrong, but I think, what the result was, wasn't that bad, which was that the video game industry itself said, we're going to have a set of standards. All the video game companies are gonna sign up for this and we're going to have our own ratings, just like the movie industry, the Motion Picture Association of America did. Right. Um, you know, a lot of people think that some of these things are government, but they're actually not. But they were all kind of started because the government was getting very curious about what they could do to regulate the industry. So the industries that in turn said, we'll regulate ourselves. Thank you. And then the consumers in turn said, Oh, okay. That solution works for us. Well, it will be interesting to see how things shake out. As you can imagine, um, there are people you, you indicated that um, the government is saying, Hey, you know, you're getting close to a line, but of course there are vehement arguments being played out right now that are saying, no, 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 they're way over the line. Mm. And of course, they're the counter arguments saying, no, 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 they're, they're not anywhere close to a line. That's not where the line should be. So uh, like I said, about the only thing that's guaranteed here is that uh, much discussion, much argument, um, much politics will be factored into exactly what happens here. I too, I, I, I actually agree with you. I, I hope that this actually does result in uh, ultimately more transparency, I think, is, a, is one of the things that makes this uh, so appealing to talk about. Because a lot of people, be it politicians or average consumers, really don't have the transparency that would give them the trust in these organizations. So even if it simply resulted in more transparency about here's what we're doing, exactly how we're doing it, um, and exactly why we're doing it, and why it's you know not... Um, you know, not anti-competitive at all, anybody could do this, uh, then uh, maybe that's helpful. Uh, or as you say, if, if they can result in 
uh, coming together with some kind of industry standard or self-policing that actually works, that might be the best result of all. Cool. Yeah. So what's on your cool list this week? Uh, well, I don't have too much going on, but I did just finish watching the last episode of Ted Lasso, which I think it's been a kind of surprise hit for, um, for Apple, Apple TV plus. I've not even uh, heard of it. It is, it's all on Apple TV plus. So I, I don't know if you, you have that, <laughs> I do not. but, um, it is just a half hour, uh, sitcom first season was just 10 episodes. It stars Jason Sudeikis and it is a just a comedy about a uh basically an american college football coach who is brought over to coach a soccer team in the uk um but he doesn't know how to even play soccer (laughs) so he's brought there for his talents as a coach and a motivator more than his actual knowledge of playing uh european football um and the thing about it is it is an incredibly uplifting series like you know, in a way that so many are not right now. So many television series are like interesting, make you think, uh, make you say, wow, uh, make you, uh, I don't know, feel all sorts of things. But um, I watch this show and I find myself smiling ear to ear, um, laughing and feeling, feeling better than when I started watching the show, like actually, you know, increasing happiness, right, um, right. which is, which is something that is just not really found um, in short supply these days, it's in short supply these days. So it was like refreshing to find that. Uh, so if you have Apple TV plus check out Ted Lasso and find out why other people are, a lot of people are talking about it too and, uh, and recommending it. That's one of the reasons I'm surprised I hadn't heard about it because usually I hear about these things because just of the the various outlets that I pay attention to. So I will uh, I will keep my eyes open for it. And since you told me a while back that I can actually watch my Apple TV on um, app on devices that aren't Apple, I yep. uh, <clears throat> might actually fall down that rabbit hole. At the last minute, since we, since you started talking TV, I felt obligated to throw in you know what we're watching lately. Um, we are just in the process of wrapping up, or we came current, I should say, with a, a British series, a BBC series called Last Tango in Halifax. Um, it is completely non-tech. It's, it's, it has nothing to do with, with anything um, uh, you know, th- that one might associate with, with the technology that we talk about every week. It's just a fun show. The premise is that um, uh, a couple of uh, 70-year-olds who knew each other as children uh, meet something like, you know, 60 years later, um, find out that, you know, they both lost to their previous spouses and they um, end up almost on a whim getting married and um, hilarity and stories ensue. Um, It's actually very, um, uh, very well-written, well-executed. There's a number of familiar faces, especially if you've watched any amount of British TV, Uh, you know, lots of really good actors. We're just enjoying the, uh, the play out. They're in there, um, depending on how you count things. IMDb counts the series differently than, uh, as it turns out, Netflix does. So depending on the current series is either series five or series four, depending on who's counting. But uh, it is currently in that current season, uh, actually releasing once a week on PBS, which we're picking up through, uh, through YouTube TV right now. But the previous, uh, episodes are all available on Netflix. 
So that was that was my last minute addition here since we had to say something about television. What I wanted to say tech-wise, uh, and I've actually held off talking about this for a little while because I, I had a little bit of a bumpy start, at least for me, are uh, power toys, Windows power toys. Now, years and years and years ago, I mean, you know, we're talking 15, 20 years ago, back in Windows XP days, there were a set of additional tools that had been written by third parties or some you know, Microsoft folks as skunk works that were packaged up into this little thing called power toys. It would add these neat little things to Windows that Windows didn't come with, that they didn't have the time to add to the product or test or do whatever. Well, about a year ago, maybe a little longer, power toys got resurrected. And it is once again, the same kind of a thing, except this time it is a public open source project. It's out on GitHub and it is in active development. You can actually see what kinds of things are happening. It is updating fairly regularly. It's, it's been kind of nice. Uh, I had a couple of problems with the features that I used most, which is why I kind of sort of stopped using it for a while and haven't really talked about it that much. It actually adds right now, as we sit here today, it adds these kinds of features, a color picker, which I know is uh, built into Mac OS, yeah. uh, but basically just something that'll let you, you know, point at a pixel on the screen and find out what color it is, which is incredibly useful. I use something like that all the time. Something called fancy zones, which allows you to define window layouts on your screen and then very quickly snap windows to those positions and sizes. Uh, various file explorer add-ons, most notably the ability to, um, in the preview pane, be able to see um, SVG images, which aren't supported natively by File Explorer, and um, uh, text files that have been encoded in what's called Markdown. Uh, it's a, a formatting, you know, somewhere between rich text and plain text is this thing called Markdown, which you can read it as plain text, but if you run it through a Markdown interpreter, it actually displays things with fold and bond and all of, I'm sorry, bold and italics and those kinds of things. There's a built-in image resizer. There's a keyboard manager that finally lets people remap keys because I know that that's one of the actually common questions I get all the time. There's a power rename function, um, a run function, which essentially is, um, it reminds me somewhat of Spotlight actually on the Mac, uh, but it's basically, you know, alt space and all of a sudden you just sort of start typing in whatever it is you want to run and it does it. And then there's this nifty, uh, shortcut guide where you just hold down the Windows key for some number of seconds and it just pops up this semi-transparent overlay on your screen that tells you what all the Windows key shortcuts are, which is a very, very handy reminder of all those things. So I use fancy zones all the time. I've got this big 36-inch monitor here. It's um, um, it's it's actually very nice to have two screens side by side, uh, but being, I don't know, maybe being the anal kind of guy that I am, if I've got two windows open, I want them to be exactly half and half. <laughs> I can very quickly set that up with uh, uh, fancy zones and you know drop whatever window I want into whatever position I want, move things around quickly with the keyboard. Anyway, um, it's something that I have fun with. If you are a Windows 10 user and you, you know, any of these little, little power toys sound interesting to you, by all means, go out to uh, GitHub. Uh, there'll be a link, of course, in the show notes, or you could just search for power toys. It's actually pretty high on the search engines uh, these days just for that. Um, and there are more different kinds of features coming you know, in the pipeline, and you can actually see the code 
and have your input as to what you think might be worthwhile implementing next. So that was kind of fun. Cool. Um, so self-promotion. I want you to go first uh, this time. All right. So uh, it is this time of year, the, the, the many seasons, right? We have got Halloween coming up and, and Thanksgiving and Christmas and all that. And another part of the season is the release of new emoji, <laughs> which <laughs> it, it just, it's becoming an annual thing. It's around, you know, end of September, beginning of October, there's buzz around the new emoji and then the new operating systems come out. Um, in Apple and Android, and they include them. So there's a new set of emoji and new characters that are included, and a lot of them are just things that are just thrown in there um, that, uh, you know, might be useful and interesting and fun in some ways, and other things that kind of, like, bring the emoji set up to date. So I did a video uh, highlighting them, as I did last year, uh, which you just can go and see each one and, and get a nice close-up of it and what it's called. There's a lot of cool things, a lot of inclusivity uh, here, like for instance, there uh, in the past has been um, a woman in a wedding veil, uh, and now the emoji set's going to include a man in a wedding veil, and several other uh, places where there have been women and men, there will now be person, so a non-gender specific mm -hmm. uh, person. Uh, for instance, there has in the pet there was a Santa Claus. And then added was Mrs. Claus. And now there is, uh, I guess, a person clause, or I'm not, I forget what the name is. But the, um, so a lot of that, uh, my fate, and, and there's a bunch of cool ones, like there's a dodo bird, and there's a woolly mammoth um, that you could use. A few other useful ones, like a coin, for some reason, there hasn't been one up until now. They always find these ones that's like, why wasn't there a coin <laughs> emoji? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, probably the most fun um, is the ninja. There's a ninja emoji now. So uh, anyway, you can check out my video showing uh, those. You can kind of watch basically a music video for four minutes and shows you all the emoji. I have a question. So the emoji, I mean, in order for them to be useful, they really need to be um, uh, supported across multiple different platforms. Is this something yes. that Apple coordinates with like the Unicode consortium to make sure that the everybody's going to end up eventually at the same place? Yes, the, the Unicode Consortium is the, is the organization that determines which ones will be the new emoji. And, you know, basically all the companies that belong to it, like Apple and Google and Microsoft and anybody that produces software that is part of the uh, consortium uh, has to then come out with their versions of those. So, you know, usually within a certain time period, I don't know what the exact things are. So, uh, so maybe if you get, you know, iOS 14.2 on your iPhone um, and you send one of these to somebody and they have not yet updated to the Android version that also includes these, mm -hmm. uh, which I assume will be out at some point this fall, um, then they, they don't either get a character that's just not there. It's like, you know, a box or a question mark. But in some cases, it's really interesting what you get because, for instance, one of the new sets is um, a feed, uh, set for feeding baby. So there's man feeding baby, baby, person feeding baby, woman feeding baby. And this is to accompany the breastfeeding ones that were there previously, but the idea these are bottle-fed babies. 
So basically to be more inclusive of however you feed your baby or want to show that you feed your baby in emoji. Now, if you were to type, if I were to send you from my iPad, which is running the beta of iOS 14.2, the man feeding baby, I would see a man holding a bottle and a baby. You would get the man holding baby and the baby bottle emoji, the two of those. Because the way Unicode works, the string of bytes that goes out that you right now see as a man holding a baby and then the next character is a bottle with the baby, that string it now represents a single emoji. Fascinating. Yeah. So some of them do that and kind of a neat backwards compatibility thing with emoji. I was, I found that out simply because I tried uh, working with my presentation on a device that had the new emoji. And then I tried working on it on a device that didn't have the new emoji. And I saw all the translations like that. I thought, Hey, that's interesting. It kind of still works. Even, you know, if you don't have the update because of how, you know, these byte codes, you know, the ISO, whatever, whatever byte codes right. work. Interesting. It actually reminds me a lot about uh, um, how a couple of the uh, Far East languages are constructed. You're actually constructing a character out of multiple characters as, a, as, you're, as you're actually typing things in. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Something that would be interesting to, to know if this happens on the Mac, one of the things I discovered purely by accident with an emoji as I was playing with it is that if you say, type some kind of an emoji into a document that, uh, like a Word document or some kind of a document that's using fonts and font sizes. Take that, take that emoji character that ended up in your document and increase the font size to something really large. So if you're normally typing in like 12 or 14 point font, take it up to 128. One of the things that uh, surprised the heck out of me is that the larger font is incredibly more detailed and well-rendered than you might expect for just something that is intended to be used as this tiny little emoji character most of the time. Uh, It had a lot more detail. It had a lot more nuance to it uh, in ways that were simply not even present in the smaller version. So uh, to the point where, you know, if I want to care, if I want a uh, an image like a, something that I want to use on a on a meme or on a Facebook post or something like that uh, of a winking face, I'm going to go and just go to a document, insert the the winking face emoji, and then change it to you know 256 point font, screen capture it, and I've got what I need because it's that good. So yeah, anyway, no, it's just something to play with. You definitely have that, and uh, and you see d- detail in some of them that's incredible. Like, for instance, on the coin, if you blow it up enough, there's actual writing on the coin. And instead of saying something like, in God we trust, or something like that, it right. says, the crazy ones, which is an <laughs> Apple advertising thing. Wow. Yeah, it's on the coin emoji for... Or you know the new set. So there's well, uh, and there's all sorts of little hidden things and and some of the detail like you know zooming in on the dodo bird or the woolly mammoth. I mean it's an incredible amount of detail uh, drawn in there. So and there's artists at Microsoft and Google and Apple that I mean this is their job just to come yeah. up with these and and work on them and they obviously uh, relish their their uh, creativity uh, you know their ability to be creative in their job. 
So yeah, it's a very cool. And I, you know, I have to wonder now at this point, having, you know, with what you just said about there being text on the coin, I wonder, you know, which emoji has the Easter egg in it, you know, which, what's, who's, yeah. got, who's got the, uh, uh, the, the something the, that says, you know, something, you know, about who made it or slams the competition or who knows what. Yep. Um, let's see on my side. So, um, the, uh, the article I want to point people at is actually a very old one. It's what security software do you recommend? It's askleo.com slash 3517. But of course, there'll be a link in the show notes. Um, this is one of those articles that I've had around for years and years and years and years. And I end up revising it every so often. And the current revision of it is, uh, I don't want to say that it makes the article unnecessary because there's always more discussion and alternative viewpoints to go along with it. But the bottom line for Windows 10 is, uh, you know what? You've already got pretty much what I recommend. Windows Defender is uh, now called Windows Security, I think, uh, that comes with Microsoft Windows is uh, enough security software for most cases. Uh, and you know, if you feel that it's not, I have other recommendations in the article, but um, uh, that's the primary one for you know the average consumer who's just setting up a Windows 10 PC. You know, when it comes to security software, you're pretty much done, and that's actually a pretty nice aspect of uh, Windows becoming a more mature operating system over the 25, 30 years that it's been around. Um, I wanted to mention I've got an article. Um, I wrote it a couple of days ago, and it's going to get published. I think. Uh, or might get published tomorrow, if not. Uh, so, which means the day that that this uh, podcast gets published, uh, about why I stepped back from Facebook, and uh, a little bit about uh, what I'm doing instead. Now, Gary, you're you're on Facebook, aren't you? Yes. How active are you these days? Not very. I I think you can count my annual posts on on two hands maybe even on one hand <laughs> uh, so i don't post very often and uh and i lurk sometimes and you know just to maybe just see see what people are up to people that i've known it currently or known known in the past if there's any kind of interesting thing they posted that's about it now mac most i've got a mac most page of and course. things automatically post there so if somebody wants you know, if somebody uses Facebook as their main way of accessing information and they want to see, you know, what videos I post every day, they can certainly subscribe to the uh, Facebook page and that will presumably sometimes show up in their feed. Um, but that's all kind of automatic. I don't really go on and you know, do anything manually to, to make that happen. So that part of it actually, you know, there's an Ask Leo page and things get, get posted automatically there as well. But that actually make, made my stepping away for a while uh, somewhat of a more difficult decision because I'd want, you know, if somebody comments on one of my videos on Facebook, I'd kind of like to be able to like interact with them, respond to that and, 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 and answer any questions that may come up. And of course, I am not doing that now. Um, in, in case you can't imagine why I would step away from Facebook for a while, I'll just say that a while uh, stands a pretty good chance of being over after our election. I'm currently just facing um, uh, the, a Facebook feed that feels so depressing and toxic and negative that uh, you know, even amongst all the corgi videos and 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 memes and funny stuff. Uh, as you say, you, you, you lurk in some places that um, they just don't add value to my life. And I end up walking away 
being way more depressed about things than, than I really wanted to. So, and I know that I'm not the only person that feels that way. Other people have, have stepped away from, from Facebook. The problem, of course, is that Facebook is by far the most convenient place, at least for me, for me to connect with a lot of people that I care about on the planet that um, you know, either aren't in other social media circles or other aren't generally available in other ways that, uh, you know, Facebook just makes it so darn easy to do that. But unfortunately, they make a lot of other things too easy as well. So what I've done uh, is I stepped away from Facebook and I'll be stepping away from it for about a month. I am still posting some things there. Uh, as you say, with, with Mac, most you're posting automatedly, uh, automatically. Um, I do very similar things with Ask Leo. Uh, new article notifications go up there. The YouTube video posts get get automatically posted on there and so forth. I'm also still, when I'm posting something, say, from Instagram or when I'm uploading a photo to someplace, if I've got the opportunity on my phone or wherever to also upload it to Facebook, I'll do that so things will show up on my Facebook feed, even though I didn't have to go to Facebook to do it. Uh, the, the thing that I uh, realized about the way I use Facebook is that it was a source of information for me. And by that, I meant not only the news that was getting me down, but also tech information, breaking news, all the, you know, a lot of different good stuff. And what I ended up doing over the weekend was cleaning up and revisiting my Feedly account. Feedly is an RSS reader, which I know not everybody is totally up on, which is one of the reasons that you just, RSS remains too difficult for many people, for the average consumer to really get their head around. But if you can, um, it turns out to be a wonderful way to um, choose your information sources, organize them according to your preferences, pay attention to what you want to pay attention to without the intervening or the intervention of somebody else's algorithm based on what they think is going to get the most clicks. So uh, like I said, that article's coming up and I think that that's something that especially with the election ramping up uh, with so many other things going on in not just the United States, but the world, it might be something that people would be interested in uh, at least thinking about uh, if they find themselves in a similar situation. So that'll be out in the next day or two. And um, I look forward to people's feedback on that one as well. Cool. On that happy note, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that pretty much wraps us up. We're closing in on, gosh, almost exactly an hour again. How do we yeah. do it? Uh, let's see. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh113. If you've got a comment or a question for us, you know to find us on Facebook, of course, and Twitter at the TEH Podcast, or leave a comment on the show notes page. Thanks, as always, for listening, and we will see you here again next week. Take care. Bye.